This is an RNZ podcast. Meeting between Jacinda Ardern and the chief executive of Twitter has been described as hugely significant. The Prime Minister will talk with Jack Dorsey today about eliminating extremist content online. That was News Hub's Amanda Gillies on Monday morning before the billionaire boss of Twitter dropped in on the Prime Minister in Wellington for their first catch-up since the pair first met in Paris back in May. That was to reach agreement on the Christchurch Call, the voluntary framework committing tech companies and governments to prevent the upload of terrorist content content online. But that's easier said than done. Jack Dorsey found that out himself just a fortnight ago when his own Twitter account was among many hijacked by hackers called The Chuckle Squad, who tweeted racial slurs, anti-Semitic messages and at least one bit of Holocaust denial from Jack Dorsey's account. Julia Borston with the details. Julia. Sarah, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey's Twitter feed, at Jack, appears to have been hacked with about a dozen or so offensive and racist tweets sent out from that account in the last half hour. Many of those tweets do seem to be disappearing right now. Now, Twitter's PR chief saying, quote, yes, Jack's account was compromised. We're working on it and investigating what happened. Oh, dear. Well, his flying visit to New Zealand went a little better, at least according to his own Twitter account. Kind folks in a beautiful environment was what he found here, he told his Twitter followers. But we'll have to take Jack Dorsey's word for that. Requests for interviews from the New Zealand media on the same platform went unanswered. And unprompted, National Party leader Simon Bridges that day said that everyday New Zealanders didn't actually care about the Christchurch call anyway. And he surprised reporters when he told them that, but not Mike Hosking on News Talk ZB. Right, so TV3 last night, Simon Bridges, uh, this is their claim. Simon Bridges has launched an extraordinary attack on attempts to curb terrorist content online. An extraordinary attack. Is it really an extraordinary attack? Or is Simon Bridges increasingly looking like he might be in tune with your average New Zealander? We will talk to Simon Bridges after the news. RNZ's Morning Report also talked to Simon Bridges on Wednesday morning and he wasn't backing down on his call that the Christchurch call was just nebulous feel-good stuff which most Kiwis don't care about. Well, you're quoted in the uh, Bay of Plenty Times on the 22nd of March as saying the big tech companies have a lot to answer for and their silence is deafening. They may well do, but by the way, is Christchurch call going to achieve anything? So were those words just hollow? No, you, well, you, you, I tell you what is hollow. That's putting huge resource into this. After that, Morning Report got a mixed range of views from its listeners, not all of which were fit to print. Uh, and this one from Bernard Woodhams, an everyday New Zealander. I am very concerned that the Christchurch call can be pursued. It is vital to both New Zealand and the world that everything possible be done to prevent radicalisation and violence. We have had a few other different views in uh, saying they don't care about the Christchurch call, but I'm afraid they're not able to be broadcast because of their content. And that was ironic, given that the social media platforms not having the same standards for content as mainstream media was precisely the issue here. Now that same morning, tech commentator Paul Brislin told News Talk ZB the meeting with Twitter's chief executive was second best, and in any case, Twitter wasn't really the problem platform. Uh, it doesn't quite get into the same realms of promoting content, getting paid to share um, vile and extremist content in quite the same way that Facebook does, for example. Uh, and Facebook is uh, is the real problem here. And that was certainly what the editor of Newsroom Pro, Bernard Hickey, reckoned on the panel on RNZ National that day. I actually think we should um, launch a class action against Facebook. Social media like this has, has again, weaponised messages which are 
clearly not consistent with science and has allowed people to share this information, huge amounts of it, regularly to the point where now there are a bunch of people who, you know, don't believe the scientists or the doctors and instead believe a bunch of conspiracy theorists. And, I mean, why, for example, does Facebook allow these messages to be on its platform? They should be stripped out. They're very good at stripping out copyrighted material. Why not strip out things that are clearly not consistent with the science? Suing Facebook for spreading misinformation in New Zealand would be a legal long shot, you'd think, defended by a fairly formidable team of lawyers if it ever did get to court. But other blunt ways of making sure extreme stuff doesn't end up on our social media feeds and on our screens here in New Zealand are being pondered right now. Soon after the March the 15th attack in Christchurch, four of New Zealand's biggest internet service providers took the unprecedented step of jointly blocking a number of websites which had published or circulated the gunman's video and so-called manifesto. Leaks from telco company staff at the time on online tech forums named at least 10 blocked sites, including the notorious forums 4chan and 8chan. The New Zealand Telecommunications Forum Chief Executive Jeff Thorne said at that time this was absolutely necessary to ensure that New Zealanders couldn't access the harmful content and the government applauded him for it. Indeed, at the time, it even asked the ISPs nicely to extend that blocking until after the memorial service held a week after the atrocity. But what wasn't reported much at the time were concerns about this. Legitimate use of the internet could be curbed by such blocking and it could also set a precedent whereby the bosses of internet service providers could block any contentious content during a crisis if they reckoned it merited such extraordinary action. And last month, this happened. A technology commentator says Spark is pushing the envelope with its decision to block the controversial online message board 8chan. Three recent mass murders, including the Christchurch mosque attacks, have been announced on the site. Well, that tech commentator was also Paul Brislin, who told RNZ that this was a bit like telecom of old deciding which phone calls you can and can't make. In the ideal world, we would have a nationwide standard and this would be applicable. You could appeal... There'd be a process. None of that's in place at the moment. In effect, we're relying on Spark and the other ISPs to do the right thing. Now, at that time, Spark itself actually agreed with that in its own statement. Appropriate agencies of government should put in place a robust policy framework to address the important issues surrounding such material being distributed online and freely available. In Australia, the government tackled these issues head-on soon after the 15th of March. It passed strong laws in the run-up to the recent federal election to penalise social media sites which host extremist content. And this week, internet service providers there felt the heavy hand of the law again when they were ordered to block websites hosting video of the Christchurch mosque attacks. Australia's e-safety commissioner issued orders blocking eight sites, including 8chan, and Australia's communications minister and the Communications Alliance which represents internet service providers in Australia, both welcomed that move. So, should New Zealand now follow suit? Well, this week, Umbrella Group Internet New Zealand warned that more online blocking could actually damage the infrastructure of the internet as well as disrupting legitimate use of it by Kiwis. In a paper called To Block or Not to Block, the non-profit organisation, which campaigns for an open, secure internet for New Zealand, said that blocking dodgy sites and services might even actually make the problem worse. It encourages reckless behaviour and circumvention and with regards to the Christchurch call may incite blowback from extremists who believe they're owed a platform.
But if even the billionaire boss of Twitter can't keep racist stuff off his own Twitter account after signing up to the Christchurch call, don't we need the power to filter out bad stuff online when we find it here in New Zealand, like the telcos did straight after the atrocity on the 15th of March? I asked Internet NZ's chief executive Jordan Carter, who chaired the Christchurch call conference in Paris back in May, and its policy adviser Nicola Brown, the author of the paper released this week, to block or not to block. I think when ISPs were coming up with their policies around how they deal with internet traffic, no one was thinking of the use case that they were faced with on March 15th. And I think New Zealand as a country had never considered uh, what kind of response would be required. And I think we all understood that. So because it was an unprecedented situation and the harm was so extreme, um, we did applaud them as a country and Internet NZ supported them in that move. Um, But what I would like to see is that we're now understanding the harms that could be caused and creating robust, transparent, accountable policies so that if this happens again, they have a roadmap. Mm. Um, Everyone wanted to do what they could, right, in that situation, and we were not going to criticise anyone for doing that, even if in any other circumstance we could pretty much imagine, we probably would have. But what then is the harm? If it's clearly objectionable material, I mean material that was literally deemed objectionable, illegal to, to share and to copy afterwards, what then is the harm that you're talking about? Well, the harm in this case was the idea of ISPs making the decision on their own, right? So you've got a bunch of people whose job is to sell connectivity to the public, <clears throat> making editorial decisions about what people can see on the internet. And the problem isn't with this decision. The problem with is with making the decision, right? And so that's why we're saying it's a longer-term framework where we don't want to see ISPs, chief executives getting together, feeling really upset about something, going, damn it, we're going to block this as well. Because it may be something a lot of people felt is actually perfectly fine for New Zealanders to see. think through the counterfactual if those people had sat around um, in their room and blocked Facebook. Imagine the the impact on the country. On that day, they may have been applauded by New Zealanders for doing that as an emergency measure, though. Because here here we are, that would say New Zealand exercising some form of sovereignty over an international digital beast, uh, transnational beast that we can't control. I disagree. I think the parents whose children were in lockdown, who might only use Facebook to communicate with them, might be really upset by that decision. Um, Actually, if if only to know that they were safe, if if they were anywhere near Christchurch. Exactly. Hmm. Um, So I think we need to consider the sites that were blocked, you could argue that the only uses for those websites are abhorrent ones. Um, I've been on a few of them and I know what they do and I don't think the world became a worse place when you couldn't access them. Well actually though, at the time I did have a look around online forums because there was some discussion among uh, tech people uh, who knew about the decision and how it was made saying, there were nine or ten sites. There was the 8chan and 4chan, which, which we know about. There was, for example, one that was a, a hedge fund tracking website where mm. somehow it had become a forum for this stuff. I think if you're talking about nine websites, that's not a very big net, and I believe they were all non-compliant. And so you've got a website like, uh, like a platform like Facebook or YouTube. You couldn't say that they were non-compliant about video removal because they were working as hard and as fast as they possibly could with the technology mm. they had. Even though they were failing, you couldn't say that they were being non-compliant. A website like 8chan that was going out of its way to tease New Zealand police about how it was protecting its users and would continue to celebrate the hosting of the video and the manifesto on their platform, um, to me has shown that it, it, it is not concerned about enabling its users to use the sites. The other sites people can get on 
encrypted VPNs, they can just work around DNS blocking. All of the things that get set in the way can be relatively easily overcome by people with some skill. So that's where you come back, and the point of this paper is, what's the problem you're trying to solve, and what are the impacts of doing so? And the, the really ugly truth is, the internet was designed to prevent effective central control of content, right? It's embedded in the technology of the entire network to say the public, you know, it roots around censorship as damage. And so that's why part of this is, let's, we're, I'm really pleased New Zealand didn't follow in Australia's footsteps of jumping into a really extreme statutory response. It's great that we're having a really considered and thoughtful discussion about this. And the test will come when there is public pressure to say, no, just sort it out, mate. Just block it. And so a policy response that will actually help with the problem um, is one thing, and a policy response that makes it look like people are trying to help with the problem but aren't actually making a difference, that's what we hope just having a really informed and thoughtful discussion will help avoid. Because the second category of, of policy response isn't policy, it's a political response, and it's not something that we should be seeing in New Zealand in response to what happened. I mean, the report, to quote from it here, says... Um about internet blocking, uh, restricting content at the infrastructure level is ineffective and causes collateral damage to people, processes, and core internet infrastructure. How would it damage core internet infrastructure? We talk about how the internet routes traffic, so it can be blocking a domain name, which then means, like, if you block facebook.com, every service that is delivered over facebook.com, and I think you'd be surprised how much happens that isn't just accessing that web page, mm-hmm. no longer works. Um, if you look at an IP address, you could be accidentally wiping out an entire website host's business. That's the kind of damage we're talking about, is that a lot of these solutions are really blunt tools that can cause damage um, to how people are accessing the internet. But then on the other hand, that damage can actually be routed around with not, mm. you don't require a lot of technical skill to do it. So you'll have some people who are still accessing the internet as usual and others who are completely halted because they don't have the digital literacy to um, evade the methods being used. Because mm, it also says in the report here that to do so encourages reckless behaviour and circumvention uh, and with regards to the Christchurch call might actually incite blowback from extremists who believe they are owed a platform. Is that basically a, a longer way of saying you don't want to drive this underground? Yeah, I think it's less underground and more, um, I think you see a lot of it in America where Twitter is afraid to um, kick off certain people with really extreme white nationalist views because they believe that they'll actually have to capture um, politicians in that same sweep. Um, And I think if you start blocking some content, you have to decide where that line is. And there are people, there are zealous people who will defend their right to these platforms, as though it's a right. I think the response that we probably want as a country is to say, let's get as few people to see this as possible. For the people who are going to try and get around that anyway, do we want them to do that in a way that we know about and can monitor? Or do we want them to do that in a way that we don't know about and can't monitor? If we do have an ongoing block of 8chan and 4chan, and then you know, the people who want to access that material will do it through different ways. It might be harder for law enforcement to track. It might be harder for intelligence agencies to look at. Or do we actually want to funnel these sorts of people into these dark corners? Um, I don't think anyone can argue that terrorist and violent extremist content isn't problematic. But then where do you go next? Like, is online gambling the kind of sin that should attract this kind of response? 
is um, or it could go the other way say well you know spam is content too yeah. blow it open I mean if people yeah. people would soon yeah. have a different attitude if if, uh, then, if platforms were unfiltered like Twitter you were saying it would be full of advertising and spam if, if it wasn't filtered out by yeah. the platform in the first instance right yeah hmm. I cannot think of a use case that isn't this exact horrific thing that happened where we should want the government to have a carte blanche ability to block any site it sees fit in a crisis because many of those crises would rely on uh, people would rely on being able to use the internet to communicate with loved ones to find out what's happening to actually understand what was happening in that environment um, I'm sure Facebook and Twitter were being used to communicate with family and friends during the Christchurch attacks to make sure that people mm. were safe and um, to tell people where not to go. You could shut down Facebook to make sure they're not also seeing harmful content, but what are you also stopping mm. them from doing? And what happened in Christchurch was a particularly insightful kind of weaponizing of social media platforms against the public and in favor of this form of extremism, right? And part of the design difficulty of what you do about it, if you decide you need to take legislative or policy or practical measures, is what new opening are you creating? So if we, if we implement a, a, like a badly designed and problematic filtering approach in New Zealand, which I don't think we'll do, but if we did, you know, that would create massive opportunities for people to abuse it against us. You know? And the, the sad reality is that in the current world, there are people out there who are using social media to manipulate and undermine societies like ours. We're not immune to those things. Well, uh, with that in mind, one thing that was done was the Christchurch call um, mm. to Paris, uh, where world leaders, Jacinda Ardern, tech company bosses, uh, all there. Mm. I mean, you yourself were there in I Paris. Um, this week, the head of Twitter, Jack Dorsey, has been in the country, met with mm-hmm. the Prime Minister. Is that significant? A year ago, this wouldn't be happening. It is, I think, a credit to the leadership of the tech companies that they've realised that the status quo of their approach doesn't work and that they're going to come and talk to New Zealand about that. Um, And I don't know whether other companies' leaders have been or are planning to come. Who knows? There's this check-in about the Christchurch call um, coming up in Paris and in New York in a couple of weeks. But the, the key thing there is that as companies and governments said, this terrorist and violent extremist content shouldn't be on these platforms. And I agree with that. And they had never made a commitment to do something about it before. So in all of the discussion about the, the Christchurch call stuff, that's what I first come back to. This is unique. And the second thing that is great about it is it wasn't New Zealand rushing off and trying to legislate itself. And it wasn't New Zealand rushing off and trying to say, let's set up a global treaty and get 90 million countries to try and agree what to do here. It's like, let's be really clear about the narrowness of the content we're trying to deal with. Let's understand that it's a, it's a process of dialogue and engagement with the companies to get them to enforce rules that they've already got. And if the, the kind of specificity of those aims has really helped the call have a chance of success. Now, we'll get the report back in a couple of weeks and see how that success has gone. I assume that Mr. Dorsey and the Prime Minister are talking about what Twitter's plans are in response to that. But popping in to see a, a leader for an hour at Parliament behind closed doors is one thing. He doesn't exactly open himself up to press scrutiny while he's here or hold a press conference, anything like that. Seems counter to the nature of the platforms they operate and the way they make their money. Uh, should they be saying more publicly and allowing us to talk and ask questions? If he's going to visit this country, talk to our leader, why shouldn't he talk to the press and the New Zealand public? I think the culture they've come from militates strongly against that. You know, It was all sort of, we're private, we'll do what we like, we'll control our message to the public all on our own terms. I think that's part of 
Well, they, they know they're closer to something yeah. like a public utility, right? Like the power or the telephone or something yeah. like that. You know, part of it's about not thinking they have to solve all of these problems by themselves. Like this is one of the dangers of the we'll do it ourselves, leave us alone culture. I'm, I'm glad that Dorsey has come and talked to, to our government. I hope the others do as well, because it, I think it probably helps them understand the scale of what happened. That was Internet NZ's Chief Executive Jordan Carter and Policy Advisor Nicola Brown, the author of To Block or Not to Block, Internet NZ's paper on internet blocking in New Zealand, and more of what they had to say about the pros and cons of online blocking and filtering and progress so far on the Christchurch call are in the online version of the story. You'll find that on the RNZ website or the MediaWatch section of the RNZ app.